You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. We're going to talk with both Darren Newsom later in the program and Ted Bikini from NASDA. But before we do, we're going to get the lay of the land from a dairy policy perspective from Dr. Michael Dykes, president and CEO of the International Dairy Food Association. And it's been a busy few weeks. Dr. Dykes joins us now. Welcome. Mike, thanks so much for having me. Dr. Dykes, tell us, who are your members? International Dairy Foods Association, our guys process 90 plus percent of the milk produced in this country. So our members start when the drop of milk leaves the farm. Uh, if it's a, a bottled milk manufacturer, cheese, ice cream, yogurt, butter, ingredients, infant formula, those are our members, uh, Mike, and they're down 10 to 20% in workforce. It's a number one issue. So the Workforce Modernization Act, while it dealt directly directly with farm labor and making it uh, year round because dairy is not seasonal, making the H-2A process easier, we supported all of those things because most all the major farm owned dairy co-ops are also members of IDFA because they process milk. In addition to picking up milk at the farms, they also process. So we supported it. We had been advocating to add uh, and make H-2A workers uh, available to work in processing plants as well. We weren't successful getting that added and the Farm Workforce Modernization Act was not included in the omnibus. So will we continue to push? Absolutely. It's the right thing to do. Uh, But I gotta tell you, our view was the real opportunity was in this this, lame duck session, because if uh, Congressman McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy is the speaker, which is what's anticipated, he's already said he does not intend to deal with immigration in the next Congress. Is immigration just the status quo is too beneficial to these parties as it sits right now? And it's just going to be a tough road to hoe? Well, I, you know, you know, Mike, I think in fairness, it's a chicken and egg thing in a way. So Republicans will say, listen, we're not going to we're not going to do anything on a pathway to citizenship. We're not going to do anything about uh, immigration reform until we close the border, until we stop the influx of illegals coming across the border. Democrats say they're here. We need to do something with them. Uh, They're here. They're undocumented. Let's at least get them where they can work and contribute to society because we need the workforce. So uh, getting something that, that will satisfy both sides is, is very difficult, Mike. I wanted to focus in on another issue that's bubbled up here over the past couple of years, and that's Canadian dairy TRQs, particularly under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. I understand we have been going back and forth with the Canadians on their dairy policy, and it looks like we're, we're set to do it again, aren't we? We are set to do it again, and we just issued a statement yesterday, Mike, um, we are pleased to see that this U.S. Trade Representative's office has gone back and is requesting another consultation with the Canadians on how do we get the Canadians to implement a TRQ, Tariff Rate Quota Administration, in such a manner that American dairy companies can obtain the market access that was granted to us in the USMCA agreement. So far it has failed to materialize. Uh, you know, Mike, part of the, the biggest part of this issue stems from the fact that the Canadian dairy system works on a supply management system. Meaning that if you, op- if you are a dairy farmer operating a dairy farm in Canada, you, the government controls how much milk you can produce and you produce the amount of milk that is needed to satisfy the consuming public in in Canada. Well, in so doing, they also manage the amount of dairy products that's imported. And so it is a total lockdown so that all the supply comes from from the Canadian side with the exception of some dairy products that's 
exported to Canada for further processing and re-exportation. But we were granted access, uh, some limited access in the USMCA, but the Canadians have uh, so far uh, put in place a tariff rate quota administration that has prevented our US companies from obtaining the market access they were granted. So USTR has gone forward seeking an, a consultation, another round of consultation with the Canadians. And uh, we'll see if this bears fruit, uh, but if it doesn't, uh, we're gonna be pushing for the USTR to continue to push this case so that we get the market access that was granted in the USMCA. Dr. Dykes, this Canadian TRQ issue has kind of been like whack-a-mole, at least watching it from the outside. It seems as though the Canadians throw some roadblocks up. We engage in dispute negotiation. The Canadians change it, throw up some fresh ones. We go through the same process again. How much longer can this continue? Well, it, it, it is, it is whack-a-mole, Mike. You're exactly right. Uh, I, I hated the Canadian dairy policy experts. They know exactly the moves to make to continue to protect the dairy, the Canadian dairy market from imports. Um, uh, we're, we are very pleased with the most recent uh, request for consultation that the U.S. government, especially the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, is beginning to understand better all the things that the Canadians do in their TRQ administration that while they may sound like they'd be reasonable, they're in, they are implemented in a way that they just simply prohibit U.S. companies from the access that they are otherwise granted in the agreement. So we'll see what this one does, uh, but we're continuing to encourage uh, USTR to pursue the case. And again, this may have to come down to a, uh, a forming of a panel and a, and a, and a ruling uh, dispute settlement in the USMCA. On the trade front, both Doug McCaleb and Alexis Taylor were recently confirmed to their positions. That's got to be a win, isn't it? From a trade perspective, Mike, uh, we are very concerned about these things. Um, our dairy industry is exporting more dairy today than we drink. We're exporting about 17% of the, of the milk that's produced. So I like to tell dairy farmers, about one day of milking goes to the export market. And that has grown from near nothing 20 years ago. And as I look ahead, Mike, the growth uh, in our U.S. dairy industry, uh, I do truly believe U.S. dairy industry can become the dominant supplier for dairy products around the world. We have a lot of competitive advantages in terms of space, in terms of natural resources, and most importantly, we have some of the most efficient, knowledgeable dairy farmers any place in the world. We have access to capital. We have a rules-based uh, system of laws. I just believe our future could be very bright, but we need trade agreements, Mike Pearson. We need trade agreements in order to have market access around the world. Folks, we've been speaking with Dr. Michael Dykes, President and CEO of the International Dairy Food Association. And Dr. Dykes, thanks for joining us today. Mike, thanks so much for having me, and Merry, Merry Christmas to you. I hope you have some time to enjoy it with your family and friends. Folks, stay with us. Darren Newsom joins us next with a look at these markets in this holiday week. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to The Monthly Grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on The Monthly Grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. 
No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. It's time to take a look at the markets. Between the Christmas holiday and the New Year's holiday, things can get kind of slow, but this week... We're watching some action develop in the soybean markets over on the livestock side. We're not seeing a whole lot change on the futures today, but there was some interesting move on the beef side of the scale here earlier this week. And we continue to see changes in the geopolitical realm, which is affecting the value of currencies. We're going to discuss most of those issues with our guest today. Darren Newsom serves as the senior market analyst with Bar Chart, writes at DarrenNewsom.com. And Darren, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Mike. You know, I think with so much uh, happening kind of in the background, Darren, I want to start with a story that has been bedeviling the ag markets all year, and that's the strength of the U.S. dollar. We saw it climb up. It was kissing 115, 120 earlier this year. Now it's cooled back off a little bit. Darren, is this a tailwind for agriculture looking out into 2023? Actually, you know, I think, I think the dollar has topped long term. We've built in you know, probably the worst case, not the worst case scenario, but the most case scenario, if that's made sense at all, as far as interest rate increases. So, you know, it's not that the U.S. Federal Reserve is going to all of a sudden stop raising interest rates, but the, the but the 75 basis point moves, I think those are a thing of the past. Now we're going to, now I think we're going to settle into a time frame where we see some 50 basis point moves, maybe get down to a quarter as we work our way through 2023. Uh, it seems like, and, and for whatever, you know, whoever wants to take this argument from an economic side, we're perfectly welcome. Uh, but, you know, Chairman Powell was saying all along that a lot of the inflation was transitory. And when it comes to commodity inflation, that's absolutely true. Supply and demand changes, and it changes the price. We've seen it play out in a number of key markets. So, to me, I think the dollar is going to continue to slide lower from a technical point of view. It moved into a long-term downtrend on its monthly chart. It's got some support down here around 102. And if that doesn't hold, we're looking at 99. That would be interesting. And you know, so what that could do is, is really kick some life into other currencies 
uh, most notably the euro, which is the flip side of the global coin. All right. The euro is the flip side. And Darren, I think before we talk too much more about the value of the dollar, you and I so far today have been speaking about the dollar index, which is kind of a broad measure of the dollar against several currencies. But they're not always currencies that we trade ag products with, are they, in the dollar index? That is correct. I mean, we when we talk about the dollar index, it's mostly, again, it's mostly just the flip side of the euro also takes into account a basket of other European currencies. So there's a lot of other key currencies as well. Uh, when you and I were talking beforehand, you know, obviously the yuan, uh, the yuan, the real, uh, Canadian dollar comes into play. All of these things uh, we have to also keep an eye on uh, as we uh, as we track, you know, the dollar strength, weakness or whatever. And Darren, South America, of course, is a key focus this time of year. That Brazilian soybean crop is coming into the combine here in the coming weeks. What have we seen with the value of that Brazilian real versus the dollar? Uh, basically, it is comatose. Uh, and it's something I talk about in monthly analysis every month. We're just going nowhere. The real is, is stuck in neutral down near its lows, uh, down near its historic lows. It just really can't go anywhere. And, and it's interesting. You know, the, so many other currencies make these big moves. Well, here back in, what was it? Uh, we Back this past April, we did see, uh, you know, for two, three months, we saw about a quarter's worth of, uh, of, of rally in the real. Couldn't really, you know, we really thought at that point it might break out and really try to go higher, but it fell flat and it's right back to where it was before. So I'm not really seeing anything in the real right now. And when we think about the, you know, the, soy, the global soybean situation as a whole, we like to talk about the currencies of the three big players, the one, the real and the dollar, but in the big picture, they don't really matter because the world's largest buyer is going to number one, buy from its main supplier, which is real, excuse me, which is Brazil. It doesn't matter the strength or weakness of the real. And if they don't have supplies, they're going to go to their secondary supplier, which is now the United States. Again, regardless of the strength, weakness of the dollar. All right, Darren. Well, the question then is, will they have supplies? And as I've been watching the soybean market this week, Darren, it looks as though the trade might be concerned about supplies coming out of South America. What's going on with the rally in the bean market this week? Yeah, you know, we can we can see the commercial view of. Hey, sorry, folks, had a little technical difficulty there. We're going to get Darren back on the line shortly and. Uh, Stay with us. Darren, can you hear me? We get you back yet, sir. I can. Can you hear me? I sure can. You're back. We were talking okay. about the soybean rally, Darren. Yes. What's going on? Yeah, from a fundamental point of view, we can see that the commercial side is concerned uh, about supply and demand, but they have been for more than a year. Uh, we can look at that March, May, May, July uh, spread, and it's only a weak carry. And the reason it's a weak carry instead of an inverse is the fact that they are still, you know, there's still a lot of chatter about a record crop in Brazil, mostly due to increased planted area. So, you know, we, we know that we know the market's concerned. We know that the supply and demand situation is going to stay tight. U.S. available stocks to uh, stocks to use are much tighter than they were a year ago. So, you know, we can read all this without actually knowing, you know, what the crop's going to be, you know, you know, per million metric tons or whatever down in Brazil, we can see the commercial side is concerned, has been concerned, and probably will stay concerned for quite some time. Darren, looking at the chart perspective, we've got March soybeans this morning dancing at that $15 level. What technical levels of support or resistance are you watching for that March contract? Hey, Darren. Short just of $15. It was just short of fifteen dollars. We hit fourteen ninety seven a quarter. Uh, I mean, we blew through fourteen ninety seven a quarter on the way to fifteen twenty two and three quarters. So now that becomes that becomes the resistance at this point. You know, can we take out Tuesday's high? I think we go up and we challenge it again. Problem is, we see a little bit. We we lose a little bit of commercial buying as we get up into that area. Okay, so north of 15, getting into that 1520s range, we mm -hmm. start to lose some of that commercial buying. But Darren, as we get into this new year, new start to the year, new quarter, all of those things change. Where do you see the investment money moving once the, the new year turns the calendar? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Mike. You know, if we, if we assume that, you know, the, the investment money is going to follow the, uh, follow the fundamentals, which is the normal path, you know, they're certainly going to stay interested in corn. They're certainly, certainly going to get, you know, stay interested in soybeans as well, as long as the Brazilian situation doesn't change. So I think we're going to see more money coming back into both of those markets. Uh, wheat, there's an outside chance, but I don't think that's going to happen until the next quarter uh, when we start to pay more attention to what's going on in winter wheat, particularly new crop. Uh, so I think that's got a ways to go yet. And always they're going to stay interested in the energy complex. You know, we see inverted forward curves pretty much across the board in the main markets. And we're going to be getting into a time of year when, you know, we're going to see demand start to pick up again as driving starts to increase. Yes, that's true. We're going to be putting those uh, those cars back into service here as these winter storms fade away. Mm -hmm. Darren, this past week, we saw a lot of folks, it looks like, went to the store, chose to buy some high-quality beef cuts. Can you tell us a little bit about what we've seen in the wholesale beef market here over the past couple of weeks, or this week, yeah. really? Yeah, the choice has just been absolutely incredible to watch. Uh, you know, we, we, we saw it jump by more than $8, reportedly by more, the, the price jumped by more than $8, and it put the choice price at the highest level since February 3rd, 2022. It also pushed the monthly gain to more than $25, and the yearly gain is now up to almost $15. So, I mean, it's been an incredible week. It's been an incredible month, and what this tells us is that next cold storage report should show a decrease in beef stocks. This is kind of unusual for this time of year. We, you know, we normally don't see beef stocks, you know, come down over the holiday season, but it looks like that's what's going to happen. You know, the the, the cold storage report for November actually showed uh, like a like a two percent increase for the month and six percent for the year. I think both those numbers are going to come down. You know, the biggest thing is it also is telling us probably we've got more marketings that are occurring here in December. We're pulling some cattle into slaughter. Uh, we're turning them into beef and we're moving it right out the back end because demand is strong. And to me, this is an economic indicator. The U.S. economy is still strong enough to support this incredible move in the box beef. People want beef. People are willing to spend for it. And uh, it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. Yeah, that is unbelievable. A $25 jump in choice select, or choice values for the month of December. Darren, is this drawing that investment money back into the protein space? You know, it's interesting because I have to apply one of my rules to live cattle market. They've been, you know, the future spreads have been bearish for a long time. Basis has been bearish because cash really hasn't followed the move in futures. But there's a rule that says, you know, a market that can't go down won't go down. It's rule 4A. And it certainly seems like we can apply that. There's been something holding up the beef market, uh, the, the, the cattle market in general. And I think it's this box beef. I, I think it's this economic indicator that says the U.S. economy is still pretty strong. People are willing to buy, you know, out the back end of the of the processing plant. Uh, so that's what's providing support. And yeah, I think it's going to start bringing some more investment money back into these markets. All right. We'll see how this develops as that trade moves into the new year. In the meantime, folks, we have been talking with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. And Darren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks again for having me on, Mike. Folks, stay with us. When AOA returns, we're going to talk with Ted McKinney, CEO and President of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risfit with this market update. The grains are mixed to higher at this hour with soybeans leading the way, wheat not too far behind. Livestock is also mixed with fats and feeders showing a bit of support while hogs are under a bit of pressure. 
Now, grain and oilseed trading does continue under the thin holiday conditions, which will be the case through the remainder of the week. The grain and oilseed sector has largely seen a positive basis in recent days with some talk of fun money coming back to the overall commodity sector as China prepares to rebound from its COVID shutdowns. Now, it is a bit premature to say that this is a macro market development that will fuel a renewed surge in commodity prices in 2023. Wall Street continues to largely be focused on recession risks, which are considered negative for commodity demand. China's ability to come out of its three-year lockdown will be key to shaping Wall Street's view of the commodity sector in the weeks and months ahead. Fundamentally, though, very little has changed over the past month, but fund managers tend to look at the same fundamentals differently depending on their view of the macroeconomic picture. Now, it is very possible that we will see considerable volatility in the commodity sector in 2023, but that's going to largely hinge on the China factors as well as what happens in the Ukraine war to impact crude oil and natural gas supplies in the months ahead. Now, as for China, the hospitals are set to be at capacity and beyond in major cities of China with nearly all of the patients battling COVID. We are still continuing to hear reports of morgues overwhelmed due to the outbreak, while official death tolls remain quite low. Half or more of China's urban population has likely been exposed to COVID already, although the more significant questions continue to revolve around the 500 million rural and mostly elderly residents where COVID is just beginning to move through the population. The VIX continues to consolidate near 21 this morning, while the dollar index pulls back a bit to trade under 104. Yields on 10-year treasuries are trading near 3.83%, while yields on 2-year treasuries are trading near 4.34%. That's all while crude oil is about 2% lower this morning. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america this is mike pearson and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world information farmers and ranchers need to know aoa now back to mike pearson welcome back to aoa ladies and gentlemen it was reported earlier this week that hog production groups out in the philippines are asking the government for more assistance in blocking african swine fever which continues to spread and it's got me thinking about the variety of animal diseases that are circulating in the world and well whose responsibility they fall on to clean those up in the u.s state departments of agriculture take a leading role and we're going to talk with ted mckinney of course, a lot of you know Teddy formerly served as the USDA Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agri-Affairs. Now he serves as the CEO of NASDA, the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. And Ted, thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, Mike. Happy holidays. Well, thank you, sir. And let's talk about ag trade. NASDA recently received some funding for the Emerging Markets Program to get out there and help move ag products. Ted, can you fill us in on what what's NASDA going to be doing with this funding? I can. Well, first of all, the EMP, or Emerging Markets Program Fund, is just a terrific but understated program. Usually, it doesn't get the number of requests from all of us, people like me, to uh, to to do its its work, and yet this year it was oversubscribed. So we're in good friendly competition with some others about emerging markets. To answer your specific question, it has long been a view the, of our directors, secretaries, and commissioners of ag. These would be the leaders of the state departments of ag that they love trade. They love taking those mid to small sized businesses to various trade shows and countries to do business uh, do that well the commodity groups are outstanding represented all over the world but in it, when it comes to policy what's right and wrong with policy 
it's been a missing link. I traveled 490,000 international air miles and oftentimes wished there were two or three or four more people like me. Well, we're not going to go take the job of USTR or our USDA friends. Not at all. That's their job. But we can sure, sure bring it alive because many of our members are closer to the farms, sometimes farmers themselves. So we'll be making treks to four countries next year. Vietnam is up the second week in January. In March, it's Thailand. In August, it is um, Indonesia, and we're fitting Kenya of Africa in there somewhere. And we'll do this for the next three or four years, we hope, all in the spirit of building trust doing some myth busting biotech's always a good example where you've got to break up some myths that have been established and otherwise trying to open the doors of trust so that they understand why we produce the way we do and the value of that so it's exciting it certainly is and ted it's an issue that i'm guessing hits pretty close to your heart with the time you spent promoting foreign ag trade to now have this opportunity to get back to those places and continue that uh, that drive is huge and i notice of the four places you're targeting three are in asia is that a growth area that that you're excited about long term it is and let me just say that uh, in my interview process for this job it was the board that wanted very much to do more internationally and Yes, it's true. There seemed to be a good fit here, but uh, uh, I want to give them the credit. I, I'm just a happy warrior to uh, to fulfill the wishes. And yes, of course, I loved what we did, and I saw the value in that. Uh, it's really interesting. Two-thirds of my travel back in the day was to Asia Pacific. So we had the right strategy, and I commend the current administration for branding it as the Indochina strategy. Suggests that never mind the politics, ag sort of looks and thinks together on this. And oh my goodness, the opportunities are there, um, including China, or if you exclude it, if you want all of those parts of the world is where there is a lot of business to be had. And I know they want access to our markets as well. So you try to seek a two-way trade. That's always the best. Africa Absolutely. has been left alone for far too long, so we've got to get there too. But I want to bring the focus back to domestic policy. Of course, you work with sure. the, as you mentioned, directors, secretaries, and commissioners of agriculture all across this country, and the ag industry is so varied. There are a number of different challenges. What are some of the issues that these states' Department of Agriculture are grappling with across the country as we round out 2022? Oh, my. They're, they're varied and unfortunately seem to be growing. But let me uh, let me walk through some of them. Clearly, there's always pestilence and disease. So how do you address weed problems or insect problems or fungi in the fields? And that's where biotech and other technologies come in. Uh, in animal disease, there's always either a threat that's real. Can you spell high-path avian influenza or those, those that might be threatening, like Africa swine fever or foot and mouth disease, hoof and mouth disease in the livestock industry? So there are those. Uh, we, too, are very much in that conservation and climate resiliency space. So that's one of our top 10 priorities like the two I just mentioned for the Farm Bill. And then you get into ag research, uh, cybersecurity, food safety is always at the fore, and the list goes on. So it's, it's never a dull moment in the departments of ag, and then you just have to prioritize, and we try to do that as best we can. You know, prioritize, and I would imagine, Ted, there's some networking that happens within an organization like NASDA. I think of HBAI, as you mentioned, and that has impacted so many different states across the Midwest. Is NASDA a way for these folks to get together and share best practices amongst one another? Yes, in some cases. I'll tell you, the, the ag community uh, in and outside of D.C. is just terrific. You talk about a collegial group that all pull the rope in the same direction. It's rare when uh, there's differences of opinion. And if there are, you sort of work those out in advance. So that's a good, good foundational start. But yes, because we transcend all issues, I think Farm Bureau, maybe I'm missing one or two, uh, are the only ones that would cover all ag issues uh, on the farm and up the chain. Uh, we oftentimes do find uh, people, uh, you know, beating a path to our door, and we welcome that. We look through the eyes of a farmer and rancher first, second, and third, and if they're doing fine, then usually everyone else is doing fine. So we do find ourselves coming together. 
the fact that we're quasi-regulatory also does that. I mean, the states do implement federal laws and regulations, and though we always want to be educating first and regulating second, it does give us a platform to hear out people who have uh, uh, views they want to express. So we, we love the space we're in very much. That is great. And Ted, you mentioned quasi-regulatory state departments of ag are tasked with, of course, enforcing and putting into place a lot of the mechanisms proposed in D.C. And this next year, we're likely going to get a lot. NASDA, of course, being truly nonpartisan. You've got folks from all different uh, colors of the political right. spectrum in, in office there. What's the discussion look like ahead of the Farm Bill for an organization like NASDA? Well, so far, the whole Farm Bill discussion has come together nicely. I'll pick the climate resiliency that got an early start. There's a, there's a coalition called the Food and Ag Climate Alliance here in D.C., and all the right members, the commodity groups are members. And gosh, did the group come together on things that unify us all. And that has been a great thrust and the initial thrust. So let's check that box in pencil. It's not done yet. Ink comes later. Uh, and so it's a good example. We have our own list of 10 priorities. We tend not to jump out in front on the Title I or all the commodities. That's what the commodity groups are for. Now, we're right there as a close second, uh, a wingman, as you might say, a best friend, a best man, because uh, we believe in those two. But we pick up on things that might be more emerging and different. So that's why I said cybersecurity, hemp, invasive species, local food systems, is space that doesn't often get covered, but is very important to the states and to departments of ag and to all of ag. So we tend to focus a little more on those all the while supporting the heavy lift that comes with commodity groups. Indeed, it does take a teamwork to get this thing across the finish line. Ted, with your friends in Washington, D.C., are, are you still expecting to see a farm bill here in 2023, or is that going to be a tough road to hoe? Well, it's always tough. Uh, the, the statistics are not in our favor of a completion by the fall of 2023. But hey, hope springs eternal. And we are all, all the commodity groups, all the ag groups are working toward the deadline that is set in law. If Congress needs to delay that, uh, and there's usually good reasons for that, then so be it. We'll work with that. It's funny, the 2018 Farm Bill, by most accounts, both Democrats and Republicans, was viewed as a pretty good farm bill. The differences now are we're post-COVID, and there's lots of wringing of hands that comes from things like that. It, it brought along a lot of spending. Some would say good. Some would say bad. And so we'll work on that. And there are newer members to the House and Ag committees that have a very different interest than, than, uh, than production agriculture. They may be much more into SNAP and WIC. And women, infants, and children, and the nutrition programs. Okay, that's the unholy alliance that people always talk about, but it's got to stay together. And we're optimistic in the end that we will get one because we have to get one. It's just a matter of what form it takes, what kinds of turns it might take. But we're still optimistic in the production ag and the world of farming and, and ranching. We are still optimistic that we'll get there on a pretty good farm bill, sir. Well, that is certainly good to hear. State Department of Ags, do they receive much funding through the farm bill negotiation process? Um, not so much. Uh, we, our, our state, we don't, the, the NASDA doesn't, but our state departments of ag uh, usually get specialty crop block grant funds. We have a lot of pass-through funds, so things like the Food Safety Modernization Act, which is a produce and animal feed-related area, would come through pass-through grants and the like, but very little direct funded, and that's okay. It is. Folks, we have been talking with Ted McKinney, currently serving as the CEO of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, or NASDA. And uh, Mr. McKinney, thank you so much for joining us today. Best to you, Mike. And stay with us, folks. We'll have more AOA coming up right after this break. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people 
lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to The Monthly Grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on The Monthly Grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So, you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. 
Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks, to AOA, taking a look at the markets. We spoke with Aaron Newsom earlier in the program. We're seeing some activity on the ag side, noticeably in soybeans. On the energy side, we're seeing a little bit of a pullback, taking a look at crude oil this morning, down $2 in most of the front month's contracts, trading just shy of $78. And that's worth noting because it was uh, reported earlier today that many of the oil refiners down along the Gulf Coast are still working to get back up to speed. Those Arctic temperatures that rolled through the southern parts of the United States across Texas and noticeably across the Gulf Coast region of Houston, you know, through uh, through Louisiana, it shut down about 12 different oil refiners. Together, those plants produced just about three and a half million barrels of oil per day provides about 20% of U.S. motor fuels. That's crucially what is uh, refined down there in the Gulf Coast. Now, the good news is those refiners had been running near full capacity ahead of the storm. Plenty of, uh, of notice that this event was coming. It is expected that these 12 plants that shut down, the majority of them should be up and running here this week. A few others uh, might take a little bit longer. They did note the temperatures fell as low as 17 degrees along the Gulf Coast, substantially colder than most of this stuff is built to withstand. And uh, a couple of manufacturers noted that several instruments had frozen and steam and cogeneration units at several facilities were just overwhelmed by the cold. So as they get those ramped up, Hopefully that will help put more fuel supply into the nation's mix and keep these oil prices at a, well, relatively stable level. And that's what's happening domestically. That West Texas Intermediate, WTI crude is the measure of, of U.S. crude effectively. Brent is the measure of crude that comes out of Europe. And we're seeing a little more volatility on the Brent price uh, situation because we do have the EU continuing to implement sanctions against Russia. Noticeably, they have put a price cap in place with regard to buying crude oil from Russia. They're not allowed to spend anything over and above that price cap. Well, yesterday, Russia responded. Vladimir Putin came out yesterday, delivered this long-awaited response. This price cap has been in effect for about two weeks, and he signed a decree that bans the sale and supply of crude oil and oil products beginning February 1st for five months to any countries that abide by the cap. So, Effectively, both sides here, Europe and Russia, are saying, hey, we're not going to do business with one another. So do expect that to keep energy, crude oil in the news here over this coming week. Russia is the second largest oil producer in the world after Saudi Arabia. And so seeing this massive shakeup in global energy trade flows, it is going to have lasting impacts. We don't quite yet know how they're all going to play out, but they certainly are are going to be here and that's putting some pressure on investors in this country who have been striving to convince companies that they are investing in to emit fewer greenhouse gases to be more environmentally sustainable to be more ESG minded we've talked about this a lot on the program we have seen large investor groups promote the idea of ESG environment sustainability and governance goals as a way to choose or to help choose different firms that you should invest in. The idea being you want to go with those who are good for the environment. Now, good for the environment is a very, very complicated question. And the push towards investing in ESG accelerated in 2022, but also a pushback started to rise. Missouri launched an investigation into ratings company Morningstar over how those ESG scores work. We've seen Texas accuse BlackRock and other banks of uh, of boycotting fossil fuel companies, and Florida has said they are going to pull $2 billion in investments from BlackRock. Market watchers, Reuters reported earlier today, anticipate that that backlash against ESG is going to continue to grow, and it certainly makes sense because when energy is expensive, that's what folks need. They may be put the environmental concerns on the back burner. So I do expect that we are going to hear a lot more about ESG issues and the problems with ESG as 2023 gets started. The looking back over at Russia and the situation there between Russia and Ukraine, we've been talking a lot in agriculture, not just the United States, but globally 
about the Russian grain, Russian-Ukraine grain export program, this humanitarian goal to load ships with grain from the Black Sea and ship them out. It helps provide income for the Ukrainians and the Russians, and it gets, you know, food out to the folks who need it. And it's worked, I think folks would say, largely given that it is a war zone. It's not an ideal situation, but these ships have been moving. There have been grains coming out of the ports of, of Ukraine and Russia. However, that might be coming to an end. Ship insurance typically works on a one-year basis. Remember that Russian invasion of Ukraine happened in February of 2022, so the insurance contracts were already written for this year. Looking ahead to January 1st, all of the ship reinsurers who help make sure that the insurance on these ships is valid have said they are not going to do any business with clients in Russia since this war has started. Uh, they do note that this is not just due to the Russia-Ukraine war. It's also because of the hurricanes we saw this year, Hurricane Ian, and uh, the other one that came across definitely impacted the shipping business raised costs for insurance companies substantially, and so they are backing away from the war risk cover that ensures these grain vessels coming and going from the Black Sea. Whether or not this will absolutely hamstring that grain export program remains yet to be seen. We've got some other interesting news. Earlier on the show here, earlier this year, we spoke with Ken Simonson. Now, Ken is the chief economist at the Association of General Contractors, and I've wanted to keep up to speed with what is going on in the general contracting industry because over this past year, we've seen a lot of dollars come out for infrastructure. The challenge, Ken and the Associated General Contractors just ran a poll and they found they are seeing severe labor shortages in the construction industry. They note that this is having an impact on construction firms of all types, sizes, and labor arrangements. It says unemployment in the construction sector is 3.5%. That's lower than the overall economy, and effectively, that means there's almost nobody out there, quote, with the construction experience looking for a new job in construction. The concern that Ken is highlighting here is that all of these infrastructure projects are going to need workers in order to get built. We'll get Ken on the program here shortly and get the outlook for 2023. Folks, thanks for listening to AOA Today. We'll be back tomorrow, Markets with Mike Zuzalo, and we'll look at carbon programs with Ben Palin, a sustainability consultant in Nebraska who thinks maybe they're not all what they're cracked up to be. Tune in tomorrow to AOA and have a great day, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.